0: Hi everyone, welcome to another podcast from Firms Consulting. Today we're going to focus on the um, basic edition of the Succeeding as a Management Consulting book. But rather than talking through how we did the study and so on, I'm going to extract some lessons which answer some of the common questions I get. So, you know, most people who who buy the book are either McKinsey or BCG analysts, sometimes even associates, Who want to understand how to do a project and they always like the book because it lays out a project exactly how it's going to be done in these firms and it's laid out in operational detail so you can replicate the analysis and so on. Now one of the common pieces of feedback I get is that Michael you know this is all fantastic thank you so much but could you talk me through or could you prepare another book which shows us how the same project is done from an engagement partner's level so I've thought of that for a long time, and I decided not to do it because I did not see the value of doing that. I, I can imagine an analyst finding it interesting, but I wanted books to be practical as well. Our premium, succeeding management consulting books are bought by partners from these elite firms who use them to supplement their thinking, to you know, to, to see the way we've done the analysis, and to you know, benchmark and so on. I think while it would be interesting to write a book on the on the basic style without all of the detailed analysis and so on, to show how a partner thinks these things through, I don't think it's that useful, to be honest, because I did tackle the succeeding as a management consulting side a little bit from the business analyst, engagement manager, and partner side. So what I thought I'd do in this podcast is maybe, rather than, than talking about the book from the partner's element, is to talk about the five counterintuitive ways partners think through and manage teams and clients in a project Um, and i think it's important because this is very counterintuitive and i'd say it's quite an important podcast with all the stuff i'll talk about i haven't discussed it um before i think the first one the first counterintuitive way we manage things at BCG and mckinsey i'm sure bain is probably the same way as well is our accommodate our or management of cost now what do i mean by this Well, let me tell you a story right at firms consulting recently we hired a firm to do a very complicated piece of analysis for us to build a very specific kind of model using some of our data we couldn't do it internally we didn't have the skills it required some work you know around technical elements that we just didn't have it's not our core business but anyway the firm like everyone else you know came to us submitted a proposal and so on and went through with it and then later on they come back and say you know what we did all this work for you, but it's a lot more than we thought it would be, so we're going to ask for an increase. Now, they were nice about it. I'm not saying they were difficult people about it. It's definitely, we still have a relationship with them because they were so you know, mature about it and they were so pleasant in the way they managed it. They, at no time did they you know, demand things and so on. But uh, uh, McKinsey and BCG is never going to do that to a client because if you have... If you have won the right to serve that client in that relationship, you've earned the right to be in that relationship. You earn the right to be in that relationship because of the value you've agreed to bring and the cost of delivering that value. Right Now, now pay attention to what I'm going to say. It's important. Now, let's assume, uh, let's put the numbers quite small here, right? so you get a feel of things. Let's assume that a client paid McKinsey $50,000 to do a study. Now, if McKinsey comes back and says, "Oh, it's going to cost us hundred thousand dollars," you're basically holding the client to ransom, right? For all you know, the client would not have gone ahead with the study at all, or have not have even hired McKinsey if it was going to cost hundred thousand dollars. Moreover, the client may now be in a position, and this is important, whereby they are dependent on the study being completed to survive. You're basically telling a client, okay, we'll do it for you, but we want you to change the billing structure, and you're not implying that you wouldn't be paid, or you're not implying that you won't deliver the work, but you're basically are implying that if you don't deliver the work, it's not going to be to the same quality, or we're going to kip away something that's really important. Now, that's wrong. If you agree to do something for a client at a certain price, you will do it. And if for some reason you made a mistake, if you as a consulting firm made a mistake on determining the cost, then you will have to bear the consequences. Of that. That's what it means having values. Now, for those people who have an understanding of how McKinsey and BCG works at the partner level and have experienced this, you will be able to corroborate that because I would know. You know, um, That's the way we used to do things. But you would have seen it as well. Not everyone would have seen this, but few of you would have been exposed to this. Now, that's one of the ways that we were able to build loyalty because we would never go to a client once we've made an agreement and change it. We would not even ask if it's okay. It was not okay to even ask. Now, many firms will not do this. They'll go to a client and say, you know what, we put in so much more effort. Why don't you pay us more? But they're missing a very important point. It's not whether they put in more effort. It's whether the client would have gone ahead with that engagement in the first place if they knew it would have cost more. It's not about the value. It's not, the, it's not the consulting firm's job to determine the value. It's about the cost to the client. Yes, it may be more valuable in the long term, but immediately the client may not be able to afford the increase. Now, many people don't understand that concept. And I speak to lawyers from elite firms that serve firms consulting, for example, and I well, actually, not all are like that. We do have one very good firm working with us who, are, you know, have the same value system. But most organisations don't understand that. In fact, if you read books and terms on sales and so on, they teach you. Well, if you if you incurred more cost, show the client the value. That is absolute stupidity. If you incurred more costs, it's because you didn't plan, and you need to bear the you know the consequences of that. So it's the first counterintuitive way McKinsey and BCG manage client relationships, right? We we eat the costs if we mismanage it. The fact that we didn't plan this is our fault. It has nothing to do with the client. No matter how much value we're bringing for the extra work we're doing, you know, we're going to have to eat it. A classic examples of this is sometimes, you know, I remember doing a project once and I, and I totally misunderstood that we had to bring in an expert, a group of expert partners from Japan. It's going to cost us something like, I think, $150,000 to $300,000 to bring them across for the weekend. Not a big deal for a Fortune 500 company, but it is the principle of the matter. I'm not going to go to the client and say, pay for this because I misunderstood this. No. I made the mistake. The firm made the mistake. We need to be at the that cost. That's the first thing, right? The second point I want to make comes down to the way partners manage junior people. Now I had a lot of junior people reporting to me when I was a partner because well not reporting to me but working in my teams because I liked taking these in you know, a bright-eyed bushy-tailed people and, and grooming them. I wanted to see what they did at their best and I wanted to train them and I wanted to groom them. Now a lot of people, a lot of analysts, especially people who are moving across some consulting firms from you know, weaker firms into you know, McKinsey and BCG and also come from, an, from, a, from a school that doesn't really have this network so they don't understand how it works. They think that the partner has all the answers. When a partner gives you work to do, he's giving you the problem. He's not giving you the answer. He's telling you do this or think about this. Now, a lot of junior people, what they'll do is they will go ahead, they'll think about what the partner said exactly and they'll say, I don't understand it, I don't know what to do. Let me ask the partner what to do. Now, they miss understand their role. Their role is not to execute what the partner says. Their role is to take the problem from the partner, own the problem, and come up with a solution and take it to the partner and say, this is the problem, this is what I think is the right way to do it. Now, many of junior people, I would say many associates and engagement managers as well, misunderstand that. Your job is to own the problem not own the implementation of the solution that you think the partner is presenting the partner is involved in too many things You know, at, there were times I was involved in five to six different engagements and I do not have the time to get involved in all of the minuscule detail involved in your stream of work so you come to me with a problem I'll, I'll offer you suggestions of what I think you can do but if you go ahead and just look at my suggestions and say Michael this won't work, this won't work, this won't work what do I do now? I will fire you in two days And I have done that, actually, because it becomes a a very difficult process where the person is not actually being very helpful. You know, people say they want to help, but if you want to help the partner and do your job, that means own the problem, right? And that's a very counterintuitive way things are managed at McKinsey and BCG. You know, I'm not sure about the other firms. I can't really speak to them. But the point is that the partner expects you to own the problem. He doesn't expect you to be his best implementer. You've got to own the problem and implement it, not just take his ideas and implement it, right? That's a second important counter-interruptive way. Now, the third one is also very interesting. A lot of naive consultants, I think, think that when you do this big McKinsey study or BCG study, you're going to come up with this amazing, brilliant recommendation that's going to floor the client. That's not the way it works. I would say that when you think of a solution at the end of a study, don't think of it as one item. Think of it as many items plotted as a normal distribution. Now bear with me, I'm going to I'm gonna have to talk to you, What I'm going to explain what this means. So now when I say many ideas plotted as a normal distribution, what I mean by that is that the solution is really one thing. If you tell a client the solution is if they enter Russia, that will solve all your problems. How in the world are you helping the client? No, you're not helping the client. What you should be doing is you should be g- breaking down that recommendation into a set of recommendations, which start off with the most basic insight, build up to the peak, the mean, and then start paring down as the recommendation starts being finished. So what I mean that I'll tell the client, okay, the first thing you have to understand here is that Things as they are, are not going to work. So that would, for me, would be the far end, or the extreme left-hand side of the normal distribution. It's something very simple, you know, very tapered. Then I'll say, okay, things as they are, are not going to work. But the good news is that everything you're doing is right. It's just the fact that the markets you're in are dying, or they, I wouldn't fl- plateaued or something, right? So I told them something a little bit more complex, a little bit more jarring. So you can see the curve starts rising. Then I'll say, okay. The reality is, yeah, you have to enter a, an emerging market. It's the only place where you can get the growth you want for the products you want without making major changes to them. You can see the curve starts rising. Then I'll hit them with the major issue. You have to enter the Russian market, one of the most notoriously difficult markets to sell consumer products because they don't even, consumers don't even like paying with credit cards. So you have to have a distribution system that can accept cash. Then I'll, then I'll talk them through, okay, how do they do this? Okay. Our feeling is that for you to do this, you have to joint venture with a few companies, we've identified a few of them, and we feel you have to do it in a few urban markets where it's much better to control the movement of product. Now you can see that I've already hit them with the biggest thing, entering Russia. Now everything I tell them is is slightly lower, so we're moving to the other side of the distribution curve. now. As a partner, when I when I solve problems and I give it to clients, I always think of that distribution curve. It's not really a distribution curve, it's more like a ramp. You're ramping up the severity of the news slowly, and then you ramp it down slowly. Now you ramping, if you just abruptly ramp it up, we're gonna to have to enter Russia, you have the client's not prepared for that. If you just ramp it down fast at the end, where you don't tell them what to do it, and the risks and the operational issues and the pilots and the phased approach, the client's not ready. Now, Third thing we do as partners is we always ramp things things up gradually and we ramp it up down very slowly. We never ever like this, which some people like doing is going in there and thudding this report on the table and saying, we worked on this for two months and you know this is what we found. You're just wasting time and you're gonna get shot if you do that. A policy of no surprise, which comes to my fourth lesson here, right? I remember speaking to someone from Grant Taunton recently and he was telling me how he has explained things to clients and I asked him, but why are you telling the client this for the first time? Shouldn't they have known about this two weeks before you presented and he said, no, it's not how we work and that's exactly the way McKinsey and BCG works. We have a policy of pre-presenting. If I have a meeting with an executive two weeks from today, I will make sure that two weeks before that meeting he's going to see everything that's going to be presented, he's going to understand it, and that meeting that we have two weeks from now is merely to make a decision, but not to understand the slides. The reason you want to do that is because if you have a meeting with seven people in there, no one in their right frame of mind is ever going to agree to anything you say until they understand what's in the slides. Right that's obvious that's you you know that's common sense. so if you haven't taken the time to present what's in the slides and get them to understand it, why in the world would you book a meeting knowing that no decision would be made? and in fact, what kind of executive is going to agree to a decision that he doesn't fully understand? I mean, he should be fired anyway, so that if you are you know if you go in here to present this major decision that you haven't prepped anyone about and I mean prep not just one meeting, not an email, but you've met with them maybe twice or three times before that full meeting, if you get them to agree it, Agree to it without the prepping. Don't feel great about your communication skills. You probably have an inept executive that you're presenting to. On the other hand, if the executive refuses to accept this, you shouldn't feel bad. What did you expect is going to happen? This is an executive. He's probably competent. He's not going to agree to things that are you know, incorrect. So the, the fourth concept is this idea of pre-presenting. Never, ever go into a meeting where you're presenting things for the first time. Never do that. Never go into a workshop where you're presenting things for the first time. The audience must have seen the material beforehand. So the workshop doesn't become an opportunity for them to understand the material, but an opportunity for them to make a decision on material they already understand, right? That's like super important. It's presentation 101, but people tend to forget that. The fifth most important thing I would bring up here is don't have an ego. You know, a lot of people think, wow, you know, McKinsey, BCG partners, they have. So much authority, so much power, no one challenges them. Hell no. Let me tell you something. I've been in meetings with people who will scream at me and tell me they don't want to listen to me. And my findings make no sense. Blah, 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 blah. The point is, I don't become defensive. I listen to them and say, look, you know what? I completely understand how you feel let's make a list of all your concerns and let me see if i can address them right and if i can't address them in this meeting it's fine if you don't mind i would like to take some time to think about it so when i come through and i do talk you through our our proposed solution i want to make sure that it's something we can actually implement we've considered all of the options and we think this is the best option for you now that's easier said than done i can assure you right now most people who go into consulting firms have an ego they think that they are god's gifts to you know management and that they should be eminent people should be throwing rose petals in front of them as they walk down with their slides that's not the way it works the best consultants that i've seen you know i think kevin coins a pretty good consultant in this regard yeah they're tough with clients i'm tough with clients as well if a client screws up i'll tell the client you screwed up but i don't do that to a client i don't know and i certainly if if i think a client's at mistake at fault and i don't know the client very well I will think very carefully about whether I should, you know, on behalf of the firm, accept that engagement. I'll think very carefully if is the, is the client amenable to understanding his role in the screw-up. And if it's, none of that is possible, then I'll politely walk away. I'm not going to tell someone I don't know you the problem. I mean, what's the value of that, right? It sounds nice to tell people a story about how you told a Fortune 500 CEO he's the problem, but you actually achieved nothing. You've alienated a potential client. You've alienated someone that could conceivably have benefited from your help. So this idea of not having an ego is very important. You know, Sit there, take the pain, listen very carefully. Now, on the other hand, don't be a pushover. If you're sitting there and taking the pain knowing full well that you can manage the relationship to a peer level, and it's a strategy to take the pain, I would say do it. If you're sitting there being screamed at, and you feel like crying, and you feel that, oh my God, I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to affect my confidence for the rest of my life. Then you have a choice. I wouldn't become defensive. I'd excuse myself from that situation. But the reality is that when people scream at you, it's your choice whether you want to take it seriously or not i don't take it serious i mean i have, right now in firms consulting i'll have people calling me and saying oh michael why do you do this how do you run these things Other, you know services don't do it this way i think your service doesn't make sense and one hour after the call they'll want to work with us because we don't become defensive we'll sit down we explain to them exactly what we do and why we do we explain to them we're not trying to be different we don't confuse best practice with what is common it's a rule just because everyone do, does it doesn't mean it's right i mean i always quote the story of you know Enron, six years in a row, Fortune magazine of the year, Fortune cover story, magazine of the year. Do you think the world was that dumb? No. He said because people don't really think about what they do. They just do it because it's common sense. Don't be defensive. When you are under attack, it's the best time to bring in an ally because people who attack you are quite patient. I think I've mentioned that in previous podcasts, and they're also emotional and they're emotionally vested. So think very carefully about how you can manage your image and, and draw them in by showing them that you know what you, you are willing to take the screaming and the emotion because you understand what to stake but not only are you willing to take the screaming and emotion you're willing to take their feedback and work with it let me tell you those clients love you so just to recap right the, the way we manage things at the elite firms is we, is we bear the costs of our mistakes first one second one is that we want analysts associates and engagement managers who are accountable for the problem third we don't come up with these big bang solutions but we kind of phase it in and phase it down ramp up ramp down two you know it's about say four it's about managing the pre-presentation no surprises you know it sounds nice you can make a movie about how you dazzle the client with this insight but in the real world that doesn't work and fifth no ego if you can lose your ego you can accomplish a lot now you know people who don't have egos are seen as pushovers they don't they don't get on the cover of Fortune magazine like Steve Jobs, but they build lasting enterprises. Now, you've got to ask yourself, do you want to wear turtleneck and really horrible jeans with some terrible-looking sneakers and be on the cover of Fortune magazine? Or do you want to build a lasting enterprise? I mean, the choice is yours, right? I'm sure you can become a billionaire by wearing terrible sneakers and a turtleneck, but it's your choice at the end of the day.